What's going on, guys? And welcome to episode eight of the Round Trip Podcast. I am your host, Mary Russo. And uh, off the top of the show here, I'd like to apologize for the show being just one day late. As you can imagine, for an Italian sports fan in the greater Toronto area, it has been a uh, pretty, pretty fun last couple of days, if you ask me. Uh, a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, can relate to the experience as an Italian football fan and Italian in general celebrating Italy's Euro Cup win Sunday afternoon or evening, and it was partying straight into the night and even over the next day, and I was one part of it. You can read an article I'm going to write on it. In the uh, next couple of days, I'll be releasing it on my Leafs Madness page. That's where I release all my articles. I suggest you go check them out. Some good reads, but I just wanted to mention that off the top here. Obviously, we're a day late. Usually, the Round Trip podcast on Monday. Today it's on Tuesday, and also I have picked up a second job. So uh, we're trying to work our way around, make some free time, and make some arrangements. I also have baseball that's been starting up, so that's been taking up a lot of my time as well. So busy time, and I'm pretty happy for a very fortunate to be back on the field playing baseball, and very fortunate to be back on the mic for episode eight of the Round Tripper podcast. Now, the big the big questions lying in the show. Obviously, we're in All Star break. The game All Star game between the American League and the National League. We'll kick off in about an hour's time uh, when this uh, podcast is released here. But uh, we have some big questions to ask, some big all-star break questions to ask heading into the second half of the season. We're already through 82 games, and boy, has this season been flying by. Lots of questions to be asked by every single division in baseball as well as every single team in the major leagues. We're going to start here, and I'll just list a bunch of the questions off the top. Can the Red Sox stay unmatched and continue to dominate the American League American League East? We'll be getting into that as well and diving into how strong this Red Sox team really is. We'll also be getting into how are we feeling about the Jays. This is the hometown team here in the greater Toronto area. Toronto's team, how are we feeling about them through 82 games? They're in a pretty decent spot, third place in the division. Actually, fourth place tied for third with the New York Yankees. And uh, they have the emergence of young talents that is coming into play. Vladdy's putting up big-time numbers, MVP seasons. And the bullpen slowly starting to make its way uh, into what should be a somewhat contending bullpen. We'll get into their future and how we're just rel- relatively feeling about this Blue Jays roster, one of the better teams that we have seen in the past couple of years. And the Seattle Mariners, we don't show too much love for the Mariners this year, but they are only three and a half games back of a wildcard spot heading into the All-Star break. And this is by far not the position the Mariners thought they would be in. They were expecting a little bit more longer of a rebuild, but hey, it's getting a little bit quicker. The division lead may be a bit of a stretch, but hey, the wild card is there. And more importantly, that curse of 19 years, 19 seasons, one of the longest playoff droughts, the longest playoff drought in American Major League Baseball history may very well be snapped this season. I don't want to put too much. I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but... The Mariners have been one of the hotter teams in the league over the past month or so, and they're really getting it together. And it might be interesting to see what this team can do in the wildcard race. We'll be getting into the Mariners and how they stack up to the other teams competing for those two spots in the American League. And how far will the Cubs fall and how much are the Reds ready to make a push this season? Now, the Cubs and the Reds, two teams on both opposite ends of the spectrum in the major leagues. Uh, the Reds have been surging. I believe they're 7-2 and two or 8-2. and two. Uh, I believe it is 8-2 because the math wouldn't really add up. But 8-2 and two in their last 10 heading into the break. Uh, they have had some offense all year. They have been one of the better offensive teams in the year, as expected with the roster that they have uh, thrown out onto the field. But the pitching simply hasn't backed them. And the bullpen as well. You could add them to the mix as well. And these two sides have been getting along nicely. The bullpen, the pitching staff, as well as the hitting, they have contributed to them. 
efficiently and equally, and there's now winning support coming from it. They're, they're putting up wins left, right, and center, and they're chasing the league, the division-leading, rather, Brewers for that top spot in the and National League Central. Wow, you miss a week of podcasts, and the words get a little bit scrambly and a little bit squirrely, but hey, that is life. But the yes, the Cubs are continuing to fall. They have... I believe they're two and eight in their last ten. It has been a rough stretch of months for Cubs fans, and the Cubs faithful will be in a, a tough stretch of months going forward, especially come the off season when you're going to see a lot of these big name guys like Rizzo, Bryant, these guys that have been here for quite a long time on that World Series roster may very well be sh- getting shipped out to new sources and new places for maybe some younger and youthful models. We'll begin to the both sides and how they stack up going into the last half of the year and of course the other division that we are missing out in the national league two divisions actually we're going to start with the national league east the phillies and the braves two teams headlining that push for the first spot in the division currently held by the team that the reigning uh home run derby champ lies on the two-time champ pete alonzo and the new york mets who are only three games up on the phillies for that first place spot but the phillies have been one of the hottest teams in baseball as of late uh, seven and three in their last ten. We'll be getting into if their hot streak as of right now, their emergence of the bullpen and the pitching, how it complements the hitting on the sticks on the Philadelphia Phillies team, and what they can do going down the stretch. And of course, the Atlanta Braves, one of the other teams in the mix for the first place spot in the National League East. However, injuries have plagued the Braves all season and unfortunate events as well. And one of the biggest ones headlining last week that we will most definitely talk about, Ronald Acuna Jr. Standing, I believe it was an ACL tear or an, something in his knee, something along those lines. I know it was lower body, and he will be most likely out for the rest of the year. I would be surprised as a baseball fan and as an athlete in general if he makes any return to the game this season. So a big blow for the Atlanta Braves losing one of their biggest stars and one of the game's biggest stars this season. But which team will be equipped to make a push for that first place spot, and how well are the Mets going to be in holding that spot? They haven't had so much experience holding such a high position in the game over the past couple of years. We'll begin to if they're equipped to do so. And of course, one of the best teams in baseball, actually the best team in baseball, the New York New York Giants. This is about the fifth time I've said it on the show. It's the football in me, guys. I really love the game. But the San Francisco Giants, the best team in baseball heading into the break. And not many people thought the Giants would be in this position, but here they are, and they are looking like they're going to make a serious push this season. We'll be getting to their crazy run this season and how the other teams that they stack up against the Dodgers and the Padres. We've been talking about this division all year long on this show. Who will come out on top by game 164? And this is a big question that we are going to kick off the show with today. The San Francisco Giants, one of the hottest teams in baseball, the best team in baseball, and are off to a much successful season. And consistency has been the sort of spell that you want to paint with this team. They have been one of the most consistent teams in baseball. The record obviously shows, and the hitting obviously shows. They put up so many runs, and they beat down on even the best teams in the league, Uh, most notably the Dodgers and the Padres. That's the reason why they're sitting ahead of them in the division. But the ability to beat bottom-feeding teams has been somewhat of a struggling point for the Giants this season, especially uh, one of the teams that you wouldn't expect, but the Diamondbacks, they are currently sitting last in Major League Baseball with a horrible run differential and too many games to count back of the divisional lead. Nowhere near close of anything, definitely not their year, and is looking not to be their year for quite a while. And they are in obviously the rebuilding stage, but they have given the Giants a bit of a run for their money over their games and their span of play against the San Francisco Giants. Now, 
The Giants do have the best record in baseball, but they will be tested, and that record will be put on the line when they come up against the teams that we mentioned off the top here, the Giants facing the Padres and the Dodgers, two teams that are menaceful uh, on the sticks as well as the defensive and pitching side. And the bullpen is obviously there with all these teams. It's going to go down to the wire, I believe, most of all, with these teams and who's going to come up on top. Don't count the Giants out. Don't count the Dodgers out. And don't count the Padres out. They're all looking for that first-place spot. One of them is going to get the wild-card spot in this the way the MLB is sort of shaping out with these standings. But the Giants don't have much question to answer heading into the break. The only one is, will they remain consistent? And it's obviously something that they're going to tell, and time will tell, but there's no signs that it's going to slow down and stuff is going to fall off. The emergence of Gosman, uh, Aaron Sanchez as well, some big pitchers, Johnny Cueto as well, and the hitting has just always been there. Crawford, uh, Longoria, so many players that have put up such great seasons and such great numbers at the dish. It's going to be interesting to see how they can keep it up and if this lead will totally be sustainable heading down the latter half of the season. We're going to kick things off to what we mentioned off the top of the show, the Boston Red Sox. Now, the American League East's finest, the top team, the top dog, they're looking to stay the top dog over the course of the final times of the year and sustainability and consistency, just like the Giants. These two teams are going head-to-head and are in the same boat this season. Uh, obviously two different uh, sets of play. The Giants are in a more easier division, if you want to say that, having to pick on two bottom-feeding teams and sort of go across the Dodgers and the Padres. But the Boston Red Sox, and before I get into them, these two divisions, the NL West and the American League East, both very similar divisions in their make. Uh, I, I would say the American League East is the hardest division in baseball, but the NL West, at least this season, is shaping up to be a derby and uh, a dogfight for that top spot. But I want to get that out of the way. But the Boston Red Sox, sustainability and consistency is going to be tested, and they're going to have to show that they can come and play. Offense is the more than capable here. We've seen it all season long, one of the league's best in the offensive categories. But this is one. This is a stat that I found out just the other day when uh, looking up the Boston Red Sox stats and their stat line and how they've been shaping out on the numbers end of things this season. Their defense will have to play a big role in making or breaking games. They have the league worst .98 fielding percentage in the league. I didn't think they would have that considering them sitting one of the best teams in baseball and having one of the best records in baseball, but the defense hasn't been it for this team and uh, hasn't been it for a while with the Boston Red Sox. Now the pitching, it is mediocre. Now I say this and it's really weird saying all this stuff since they're the best team, but it's because the Boston Red Sox weren't sought out to be the best team in the American league. East. There was many better teams that you could have, you could have positioned the blue Jays ahead of the Red Sox heading into the season when we were still talking in spring training. It's been ridiculous to see what kind of run they've been on. The offense house has been showing up Devers, Bogarts. Uh, I, I like Dalbeck as well. He's been really cool emerging as a talent in the youthful end of things as well as J.D. Martinez is continuing to smash baseballs out of the ballpark. It's just been us. And I can't believe we're not going to mention Verdugo having a tremendous season with the club, his early season with the club. Definitely a great return for the Boston Red Sox that they made that trade for Mookie Betts in the Dodgers deal. Great thing coming their way, and Verdugo has really proven to be a great talent in Boston right now. But the offense is there. The defense hasn't been it at all this season, and the pitching has been Somewhat average, and if this team wants to make a push, I think this pitch, this pitching can get them by and obviously into the postseason, but it's going to be tricky and a coin flip, I think, and I think that's something you want to avoid if you're the general manager of the Boston Red Sox. You don't want it to be a coin flip every night when you're putting up a pitcher in a big-time situation, especially in the playoffs. Now, we know pitching wins you games in the playoffs. You're not going to outscore uh, teams in the playoffs, 
because they're always locked down on both on D and on the pitching side. There's every pitch has to be perfect. And I'm coming off this from a personal experience as well as just watching the game. Now, you need big-time pitchers to win big-time games, and the Boston Red Sox don't have much of that. However, the emergence of Chris Sale, one of the former Cy Young winners in this league, he is on the men, and he's set to return in the upcoming weeks. I believe his timeline's two to three weeks. I could be wrong. I haven't checked it in a while, but I do know he's going to be ready for the second half of the season. It's great news for the Boston Red Sox, getting a big-name talent and a guy that has a great track record and resume on the mound. So the Boston Records, the emergence of Chris Sale coming back slowly but surely might bring them to a better stage than they are right now. Obviously, sitting at the first place spot, they are in a great position. However, pitching is going to be a big challenge for this team. It is mediocre. Chris Sale will help it most. Definitely, he would help any pitcher, and he would probably sit one or two on any team's roster for pitching staff, but... I think you're going to be one pitcher away uh, if you're the Boston Red Sox to add. And it wouldn't be a big issue if you were to add a pitcher at the deadline. Maybe nothing too major, but maybe a decent-sized name coming your way in Boston. I think that will solidify and will bring some confidence in the group as to where this team is going and how far they can go in the postseason. Everything's there. Uh, the pitching isn't a big question mark, but it could definitely use a bit of a boost. And I think that would help them in the long run if they're trying to make a big run and return to where they were in 2018 when they hoisted the world's finest trophy, the World Series trophy. And uh, that's obviously the big goal at at the end of the season. It goes down to how well they can match against the other American League opposition. And I found this out as well just before we kick things off in the show here. The Red Sox have dealt with the Rays already. They're done. They've wiped their hands clean of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. They don't got to face them at all again this season, at least for the regular season, that is. And they're done with the season series. They've played all their games, and now they just have to play the Yankees and, uh, of course, all the rest of the uh, American League East teams. And it's going to go down to which team can uh, – I don't know. I wouldn't say which team, but how well the Boston Red, Co- Red Sox can fare against these other teams in the division now. Uh, Barnes and Odovino will have to stay the pace – uh, they are combined for 26 saves through the first half. Uh, these guys will have to be heavily relied on for these divisional games, and they are going to start getting closer and closer as the days go by and by when the games get more meaningful and teams start to get a little more desperate in their playoff spots. They're going to throw – the pitches are going to be a lot more perfect and the situation is going to be a lot more close. These two guys, Barnes and Odovino, I don't think a bullpen piece is needing, needed to be added in the Boston Red Sox organization as of right now. I think these you could roll with Barnes and Odovino. Obviously, it would be nice to bring back Craig Kimbrell, but uh, I don't see it happening. I don't see another big bullpen piece coming. I think you can roll with Barnes and Odovino, combining for 26 saves and uh, great combination, and they know how to get the job done. They are experienced players. Uh, they have been around the block, one of the which, Matt Barnes, is a World Series champion. And it's going to be interesting to see how these guys stack up against the other divisional teams in the American League East. And a small, a small piece, like I mentioned, will be nice to see coming the Boston Red Sox way come deadline time. Uh, we mentioned off the top, it could be a big pitcher. Uh, it could very well be a little bit of a bullpen piece. Nothing too major, not a save guy, but maybe a mid-inning relief guy. Uh, or it could just be another offensive guy that would add to this roster and maybe have a more defensive-minded uh, style of play. Uh, and you know what would be interesting that I just thought of right now? If the And it wouldn't make too much sense, but maybe shifting either Bogards or I believe Devers is taking up the... Oh, who takes up the second base spot in Boston? I think Devers got third. Uh, second base. I'm not too sure why I'm drawing a blank here, but he is an all-star, so I don't know why I'm drawing a blank as the Boston Red Sox have one of the only 
two players that are lying up the middle since Jeter and uh, Aaron Rodriguez to hit the All-Star game and start on in the All-Star game. But wouldn't be a bad idea if they added next year, depending on how the, their cards play out and how the chips fall this season, if they had Marcus Semyon. Some food, uh, some fat to chew on right now. Obviously, we're a long way away from this sort of conversation, but Marcus Semyon is a great defender in the league. And as we've seen with Toronto Blue Jays that we will be getting into next, that he has been a force to reckon with on the offensive side of things. So uh, Boston, maybe a small piece away. Semyon maybe is a bit of a stretch and maybe something along the lines of next season. No way the Jays are shipping him off to not only an American League East opponent, but also the team that they're facing and trying to battle with the Boston Red Sox and the way that Simeon is playing. But some food for thought thought here, and definitely a small piece could be added for Boston. And it is one of the biggest questions, consistency, heading down the final 82. And we're getting into the Jays. Obviously a successful start to the year by their means. Uh, Tied for third, but a long way back of the division lead as of right now. Uh, Eight games back, but just four and a half games out of a wildcard spot. So playoffs are within reach right now. And I want to stress this right now. It could get very squirrely if the bullpen decides to take a poop on the field yet again. It has been coming in ups and downs waves with this bullpen. They have had their highs and they have had their very, very down lows. Uh, it has been getting better. Don't question it at all. Uh, the arrival of Kimbrel, uh, Kimbrel, uh, Kimber and Barnes have been great acquisitions, great uh, mid-relief guys, as well as the, I believe it's Richards from Milwaukee. I don't remember his name off the top, but uh, they have added some successful and sustainable bullpen pieces, uh, some smaller pieces. So Atkins has been busy on the phones, getting some guys and fixing this hole that they have dug themselves in. But the Toronto Blue Jays, they are within playoff contention as of right now. Now it could obviously change, like I mentioned, and things could go bad. And the only thing I don't want to see the Jays do this season his waste of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, MVP season. Now, he is obviously one of the league's best as of right now, one of the best young stars, and he's putting up MVP numbers. He's obviously favored to win the uh, the American League's highest bestowed honor. As of right now, he's actually contesting for the Triple Crown right now. Uh, he's been great. That's all you have to remember. And if you've been paying attention to anything about baseball, you know who Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is right now. Now, Vladdy's been putting up MVP numbers, and he'll have to stay this way. I think that's first and foremost. First and foremost. First and foremost on the uh, Toronto Blue Jays' future over the next 82 games. He's going to have to stay consistent. I think that's no question. Uh, and I think the guys behind him in the order as well are going to have to stay consistent. The lineup's still going to have to be uh, a menace to go up against uh, one through nine. And I think George Springer is going to have to play a big part in the offense and just keeping the boat afloat uh, with his offensive. And this is not where the problem lies and where the question lies with the Toronto Blue Jays, not the offense, but it is the pitching. Now, Bo Bichette, great offensive player. The defense is a bit of an issue. Uh, Hopefully he can uh, return back after this rest. Well, I wouldn't say rest. He's participating in the All-Star game, but return back with a better understanding of the defensive game so we can avoid some big game and big-time situation where he makes an error and costs them a game. Uh, Biggio's going to have to pick it up on the sticks here, so the young guys might have to pick it up slightly, but George Springer is going to have to remain healthy. Now, prior to the... uh, all-star break. I think it was last week. He sort of, I don't think he exited the game, but he was sort of favoring his ankle. He had a bit of an ankle injury and Church Ringer has been plagued with injuries all season after signing that massive contract uh, way back in October. I believe it was October. It feels like forever ago, but he signed a massive contract nonetheless, and he hasn't been really giving the best results simply because he's been in the field and on the field long enough for us to see it. 
he's been a great player when he's there and a great human being uh, for the fans while he's been there in Toronto. But uh, the production and the consistency hasn't really been there. He hasn't been consistently on the field. So it's going to be interesting to see how consistent he can stay healthy. And I think that's one of the biggest questions heading into the final 82. Can he play at least 60 of those 82 games? I think that's his the benchmark that you have to reach. 60 of those 82 teams, George Springer has to be starting in center field for you. No questions asked. Uh, if not, your team's not making the playoffs. And I, not because this team's not deep enough. I, I believe Randall Gritchett is more than capable. I never even liked the Springer acquisition in the first place. You can go look at the prior episodes where I displayed my opinions pretty briefly there. But Randall Gritchett was a great center fielder, and he really got it done on the bats and on the stick side of things at the dish. But George Springer, he is a much, much, much better player than Randall Gritchick, hands down. But I don't think there was really a need for him, nor a need to pay all that money for him. Now, obviously, salary cap isn't something you worry about in baseball uh, compared to hockey. But George Springer, the, you're not getting your bang for your buck at all as of right now if you're Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, especially when you give him such a big deal to come play in Toronto, even though you don't really need him. But, hey, it's a big name. Maybe spark some uh, influence in your franchise, in your organization, get the fans' juices running, and it, obviously it did. And this team is in a very good position as of right now, a better position than the way they thought they would be in through 82 games. But George Springer is going to have to be – at least playing 60 games of those final 82. And I'm not saying 60 and uh, taking rest games in September. He's got to play 60 games. I'd say he's got to play at least, uh, I'd say, I don't want to say 25 strikes. That's pretty hard to do. And there's obviously rest days now, load management and game time management. But you're going to have to play most of the games regardless of which way the Jays go. And I think that's a big storyline heading into the second half of the season for the Jays, if he can stay healthy or not. And one of the biggest questions, obviously, this is the biggest question, is the bullpen. And whether Kimber and Bards are enough, they have been great acquisitions by far. They haven't been getting the job done for the Blue Jays through, I guess, the first couple of weeks that they've been playing for the Bluebirds. But this will test Atkins' faith in his team this season. Now, last time I checked, the Blue Jays and Ross Atkins uh, – they haven't had too much faith in the franchise over the past couple of years and because they've never gone all in, and they nor should, nor should have they. The, they haven't been in a position where they are most successful, very potent. But uh, I think this year is a very close year. I think you have the ability to go all in, depending on which route you go, who you acquire at the deadline. If they get Craig Kimbrell, guys, it's going to be a very interesting thing to see where the Jays are going to go. Uh, Ross Atkins has the ability, has the money, has the approval to spend some big-time bucks and maybe make a playoff possibility more than grateful and uh, a possibility more than reachable and obtainable uh, over the next couple of weeks and months and down the final stretch of the year. So I think they're a big bullpen piece away from making some serious noise. They are a big distance out, and the playoffs are by far more than in reach. But I don't think personally, and I mention this obviously every time we talk the Jays, I don't think it's their year yet. I think next year is a big year. I think an offseason change is going to be very necessary for this team. I think you're going to have to pull up the big boy pants of your Ross Atkins and make another big splash. And not one that's George Springer and addressing the offensive side, but the pitching side. Make your team much more rounded out. And I think that's all I'm going to say for the Blue Jays heading into the final 82. They're in a great spot right now, but it could definitely be better with the emergence of the bullpen. And can I say consistent? Can George Springer stay healthy? Stay healthy? These are big questions for the Bluebirds. Now, moving on to the Seattle Mariners here. We're going to splash some light on them for a bit. Uh, the Mariners, pretty quickly here, they, things may be looking up. 
for the city of Seattle. And they are notorious for lackluster sport teams. You mentioned the Mariners, 19 years without a playoff appearance. The Kraken now going to be the new uh, NHL team in Seattle. They never had an NHL team in Seattle. So that is going to be very interesting to see coming in the upcoming weeks. Uh, I think their only successful team is the Seahawks. I don't think they have a basketball team. No, I don't follow basketball too close. I don't believe they have a basketball team. I might look like an idiot right now, but no, they don't have many big sports teams in Seattle. And the Mariners and the Kraken, the emergence of the Kraken and the emergence of the youth in Seattle Mariners uh, season, is just adding to a list of much-needed change in this promising play coming out of the young Seattle Mariners team. Now, the vision may be a little too much to ask for if you're the Mariners, but the wild card spot is more than in reach. And the team is just sitting three and a half games back of the ace for that final spot in the uh, wild card race. So obviously a more than obtainable uh, situation for the Mariners. Definitely one of the better spots that they would, the thought they would be in uh, and heading into the all-star break. Maybe if you're looking from uh, spring training, I don't think the, the Mariners nor the people in their organization expected them to be this, uh, the, a playoff possibility remotely possible. And now the things are looking up in Seattle for this team. Now, this could be the year that we see the league's longest playoff drill collapse. Uh, 19 years in the making, like I've mentioned, I believe three or four times off the top of the show. But the big question here, and I think this has been a big question throughout the entire season, the hitting. We're going to have to see an increase in the hitting if they want to tango with the athletics who are very good at blasting balls out of the ballpark. You look at the Matt brothers, Chapman, and Olsen, one of the best home run dual threats in the league, and as well as the entire team for them. Oakland Athletics. This is the team that they're going to have to go toe-to-toe against, uh, win a lot of games against in the divisional race. And I don't think they're going to catch them in division, but they're the biggest contenders for the wild card spot. So you're going to have to take your games against the Athletics if you're the Mariners, and the hitting is going to have to play a big role. Now, maybe a big-name player heads to Seattle. I strongly don't see this coming to fruition. But the rest of the team needs some much-needed work in the offseason. Now, the Mariners are definitely in a much better position, like I've mentioned, through 82 games, but they they, they need some rounding out, some rounding out of, of the edges a little bit. Now, the pitching is mediocre, the bullpen is mediocre, and the hitting is mediocre. So a bunch of mediocre things makes a bunch of a mediocre teams, and this mediocre team is in a great position right now. But is it sustainable? That is a question that we're going to have to be well, that question is going to be answered in the upcoming days or so uh, when we see this team get out of the shoot from the All-Star break as well as over the next couple of weeks when they start to get rolling again. The sitting is going to have to be something uh, spectacular if they're going to want to make any noise in the division. If they want to make the wild card spot, I still think you're going to need a little bit more than mediocre hitting because they don't have one guy batting over 270. So uh, I'm going to let you guys do the math here, but it's not looking too great for the Mariners hitters. However, it's looking very great for their outlook on a postseason spot, better than what they projected to be. And I think that's the big storyline for the Mariners, at least through 82 games this season. And over the next 82, the next half of this season, what will come, I think the hitting is the biggest question that we need to ask. And maybe a big name comes to Seattle, maybe spark some uh, momentum in this year, uh, in this lineup, one through nine. But as of right now, with the team still uh, intact from when we entered the All-Star break, as well as the last show, so much needed work is going to be needed on the sticks. And we're going to transition to the National League now, or at least maybe make our way back to the National League. We've already gotten through the New York, the San Francisco Giants, as well as some other teams in the National League West. We're going to hit up the, the Chicago Cubs. Now it very may very well be a long season and off season for the Cubbies faithful. Uh, just two wins in their last 10 heading into the break. Uh, it's been a negative run differential all season long and an aging offense that will likely be flipped for newer and younger models, possibly at the deadline. It is approaching 
uh, slowly, but at the end of the day, very fast. Uh, I believe it's the middle, or actually at the end of July, I believe it is. End of the July, early August is when the deadline is this season. And you may very well see these big names and these big talents that have won a World Series in Chicago snap that long, long drought. Uh, finally come to a close and finally come to a halt. Now, there is no sense in adding anything but youth and depth in trades if you're, I believe, in power and in, in general management is Epstein, Brian Epstein. I believe he is wearing the big-time boots for the Chicago Cubs, so he's going to have his hands full and his hands uh, tied at the deadline where he's going to have to ship off these big-name guys, these guys who have been so loyal and veteran guys for the Chicago Cubs. They're going to have to go in a trade to another organization, unfortunately, for youth. I think the rebuild is about to be underway. I think the Chicago Cubs are obviously on a long downtrend. Uh, it's not looking good for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, a buddy of mine on my baseball team, he's a big Cubbies fan, and he's lost a lot of confidence in this team over the last couple of months, simply because they have not played to the way that we all thought that they could play to. We have seen it in the past, but an aging offense has grown some moss, and the stone has not been rolling by far, and this team has just continued to slow down and slow down. Now, Craig Kimbrell, one of the biggest, uh, I would say, offseason acquisitions with trade deadline targets and trade deadline bait. Uh, Craig Kimbrell is one of the biggest names heading to another team most likely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which team he lands on by the deadline and what the Chicago Cubs get in return. I think it is only looking going downhill for the Cubbies, and the departure of Joe Madden has been an underlying factor, at least to my credit, to uh, contribute to this sort of lack of success in this organization. Not not to hit on Ross here, but uh, Joe Madden was obviously a better coach. Uh, Ross was a former player, and he played with the World Series winning team. Obviously, he has some good chemistry with the guys, but I don't know, man. The Cubs are on to a tough start to the season, and it's not going to look any more promising. The veteran guys are going to be shipped off, and the biggest question is, at least if you're a Cubs fan, how worse is it going to get? And where's Craig Kimball going to land? And that is that is all I really have to say about the Cubbies. Nothing too promising coming out of their camp, but interesting to see where they will go in the final latter 82 games of the season. Now, very quickly, I just want to touch, touch upon the Reds. Uh, Cincinnati Reds, basically, one of the hottest teams in baseball as well. They are trying to go at the Milwaukee Brewers for that divisional lead in the National League Central, one of the weaker divisions in baseball. However, the offense is coming alive for the Reds, and it has always been alive throughout this entire year. And the one thing that has changed in the Reds organization as of right now, and over this hot streak that I'm hoping that remains consistent, at least from a baseball fan's perspective, because I want to see the Reds do well, a team and a franchise that has been so slumping over the past decade or so, uh, the pitching has to back them up. And the pitching has been backing them up. The bullpen has been backing them up in these games when they've been on their eight, I believe it's eight and two or seven and three. Uh, they have a lot of wins in the last 10. That's all I got to say. And, Pitching has played a big role in that. The bullpen has been lights out. They have closed out a lot of games. I believe four of their seven wins were closed out through the bullpen. And the pitching, like I've mentioned repeatedly in this red segment, have backed that offense of consisting of Joey Votto, Suarez, uh, Castellanos, and uh, MVP candidate Jesse Winker. So many players that you can name that have been so dangerous on the offensive side. And finally, Sonny Gray and the pitching side of things are coming together. So very nice to see from the Reds' perspective. I don't want to spend too much time on it simply because it's a very easy equation. Will these three three components here in the game mix together, and will the Reds have any success from it? Now, will the pitching stay afloat? Will the bullpen support it? And will the offense stay as dangerous as it has been all season? Three questions that have to be asked going into the latter stretch of the season. Now we're going to move very quickly here to the Phillies and the Braves. Now, the Phillies heading to the break as one of the hottest teams in baseball 
seven wins in their last 10 games, and they're finally close to being fully healthy. With JT, Romuto, and Didi being back in the lineup for a pretty decent amount of time right now. Uh, the offense has always been with this club, and the big question that has been lying around with the Phillies was their was uh, the bullpen, basically. Uh, was there where the game always seemed to get away, at least. Uh, playing the back third has always been a demon that the Phillies side has struggled to conquer over the past few years. And for the most part, the season hasn't shown anything too promising. Uh, unless you look at this final or last 10, the last, this last set, 10 set of games rather, uh, where the Phillies are uh, seven wins in their last 10 games. And the bullpen has closed out four of those games. Uh, however, over this team's recent streak, the Phillies have closed out four games and their bullpen has stepped up big time, which is a very nice contribu- contri- contribution to see to this team that has been beating down on teams most heavily uh, with double digits because this offense is more than capable, guys, of putting up a crooked number in any given inning, especially with this team, how dangerous it is on paper and one through nine. Now, this team has always been under the cloud of underperformance and are set up in the nice opportunity to make some headway onto what the critics have been saying. Now, we've always said it a million times that the Phillies are such a great team on paper but can never get it done when the game, uh, when the first pitch is thrown. Obviously, I haven't made the playoffs in quite a while, and uh, there was no reason to do for, uh, show for it because they signed Bryce Harper, a big-time name, brought in the best catcher in the game, uh, Didi Gregorius, a very great and promising underrated shortstop. Uh, Gene Segura, so many pieces. Andrew McCutchett, who was a former MVP candidate, uh, with his time in Pittsburgh, <clears throat> obviously a very long time ago, but such great pieces, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and the bullpen, Hector Neris. They've had some really good pieces on paper, but it's never been really coming to fruition, coming together and meeting along nicely. However, this season's looking a little bit different. Now, it has been up and down, but over this past stretch, at least heading into the, de- uh, the break, it has looked very promising. Now, the team is in a nice opportunity. The bullpen must stay consistent, and the pitching talent must back the hitters. <clears throat> in Nola, Austin Nola here taking a slight dip in production lately. And uh, this is something that we can't really afford as the Phillies organization. As a Phillies fan, you can't really be seeing Nola taking some nights off. These are big-time games, big-time names are going to have to show up for this Phillies side. And the Phillies faithful, hopefully by the end of it, will be satisfied and happy and seeing their team battle it out in the playoffs. Now, the big question is, obviously, the bullpen. Can it stay afloat? Can it stay sustainable? And can it back this very dangerous hitting team? I think it will. I think the Phillies will actually make a big-time jump in the standings and maybe battle it out for the Mets in first place, unlike this other team that we're going to discuss here, the Atlanta Braves. Now, nothing has gone right for this Atlanta team, uh, and they are the final topic for today's show. They are just one win away from the World Series last season. And it doesn't look like it at all if you've been watching it this season. If you weren't even paying attention to last season, you wouldn't even have known it. Simply because injuries and cold bats have halted the Braves from picking up any traction this season. Uh, Teams so used to dominating the NL East now finds themselves on the outside looking in, sitting third and four games back uh, of the Mets, the division-leading Mets, that is. The departure of Ozuna and recent injury to young star Ronald Acuna Jr., I told you I'd mention his name in the show, has left massive shoes to fill in this Braves organization, not to mention uh, Mike Soroka and his injury, the Canadian boy himself. Uh, Don't count the Braves out, though. Obviously, uh, ranking very high in playoff experience. They've had to face a lot of adversity in their careers, Uh, but this this has been a tough season for the Braves uh, and has been a team that has been really battle-tested throughout the season. 
and still unable to come out on top, especially when their guys were healthy. Acuna and Ozuna were once in the lineup together, and this team once was pretty healthy. Uh, obviously, Soroka has been out all season with the leg injury. However, these two players, one of their big-time bats of, of last year in their run last season, they were both healthy at the same time for a very long period of time. And the Braves couldn't generate any traction or any wins. and couldn't come up on the correct end of the game, if you will, on the winning side of things through their contest. So I don't know what it is with this Braves organization. They're going to have to take a long look in the mirror and analyze where they are. And they're going to have to take a big step back. Uh, and it has been a big step back for this Atlanta Braves team. We need to evaluate how they will come across approaching these big-time holes that absolutely desperately need feeling if they want to make any noise on the latter half and the back half of this season. Ooh, that's a long show. I believe 37 minutes we're on right now, but hey, that concludes episode eight of the Round Tripper podcast. Again, I'm your host, Mario Russo. It has been a great show today. Uh, I hope everyone enjoys the All-Star game that will be happening in less than an hour's time, as I'm saying it right now, at the time of shooting, that is. A uh, great time for baseball. One of the great festivities we mentioned off the top, the Home Run Derby kicked things off yesterday and kicked off these festivities Yesterday, we had a celebrity softball game, and no worry would you ever see Cuevo striking out DK Metcalf. That man is an absolute other thing, another being of a human. Uh, and seeing Cuevo strike him out, something nice to see in the game, but that's a little bit of a joking thing and a little bit of another matter for the show. But anyways, that concludes episode 8 of the Round Tripper Podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed. I hope you all enjoyed tonight's contest between the American League and the National League for yet another MLB All-Star Game. It is going to be quite fun to watch. I'll be looking out for it as well. Uh, And we're going to be hoping to see how these questions that we've been talking about throughout this show get answered. Hoping some of them get matched. I'm really hoping that the Phillies and the Jays, both my one and two teams, respectfully, in the Major League and the MLB this season. Those are the teams I root for, so I obviously have a bit of a bias, but I'm hoping that these questions play out. I'm hoping the bullpens both stay afloat for these two franchises. And as well, these questions for the Giants, the Cubs, the Reds, the Mariners, and of course, the leading Boston Red Sox. I hope all these questions get answered. And I'm sure they will when time the time comes and as time goes by. But the time has come for this show to go away. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Episode 8. Uh, hopefully, uh, look out for my article on the Leafs Madness page. I'll be releasing, I believe, a hockey one for the Maple Leafs as well as an Italy one just to highlight the experience a a very transitional experience that I've had over the last couple of days being an Italian sports fan in the greater Toronto area but that concludes episode eight round trip podcast again Mary Russo and signing off of the show have a great night everyone and hopefully enjoying the all-star game this evening cheers everyone